Welcome, everybody, to Mendocino County Fire Safe Radio. It is our mission to inform, empower, and mobilize county residents to survive and thrive in a wildfire-prone environment. And part of that means dealing with emergencies. Um, and consulting Merriam-Webster, uh, an emergency is an unforeseen combination of circumstances or a resulting state that calls for immediate action, an urgent need for assistance or relief. Um, I've, you've, you've heard this before from me on this show, but in an emergency, you're always the first responder. Uh, each home's personal guardian, fire truck, and crew doesn't magically appear the moment there is an emergency. And as just quoted, emergencies are about things that are unforeseen. Um, so uh, it's impossible to be perfectly prepared for them in advance. But your level of preparation and knowledge will make a huge difference in how well your family and yourself and your neighbors and your home do in an emergency. Hopefully you're listening to this show because you understand that you need to be prepared. Being prepared means doing a lot of things in advance. Uh, we had shows before on home hardening and creating defensible space around your home. You need to have your to-go kits ready and have plans. Um, we'll talk about all those things probably briefly later on. Uh, key, another key, is to be informed and to have the best current available facts. You need facts to survive and thrive. Knowing early, staying updated, and knowing what's actually going on is critical. And emergencies also tend to come with a lot of rumors and misinformation, which can be particularly dangerous when you're dealing with unforeseen combinations of circumstance or the resulting state that calls for immediate action. In other words, an emergency. Which is why we're honored to bring today's show to you with Trisha Austin, Fire Prevention Specialist, who acts as the Public Information Officer for our CAL FIRE Mendocino unit, and Brent Blazer, the Emergency Coordinator for the County of Mendocino. Um, and with that, I'm going to let them briefly introduce themselves and give us a little bit about their background and what, what led them to do what they do and why they're doing it. Um, next, we'll start with Brent. Hey, good morning, uh, Scott. Thanks for having us today. Um, well, yeah, my name's Brent. I work with Mendocino County. I'm the emergency coordinator. I've managed the program for OES here in the county. Um, really, my background a little bit was uh, I did the military for 13 years, uh, enlisted, became an officer after college. And um, we like to joke that we cause emergencies and then we manage them. Um, really didn't realize it was a profession outside the military until uh, I came out here and uh, the California and, uh, you know, about 10 years ago, 12 years ago, um, and kind of had some friends say, hey, have you thought about doing you know, a softball team? It was all people working for a county. And they said, hey, you know, this is an awesome opportunity, and, and you seem to know a lot about it. And I uh, looked into it, and I was like, wow. I mean, at the time, I did the fire academy and uh, EMT stuff, and um, I had done civil support teams with the military also, which is uh, nuclear biological chemical response aspects. And uh, so it was just a good fit, and uh, I ended up doing I've been in it in business for about 10 years now. Um, and what kind of led me here to this county was, uh, or was taking the position here in Mendocino County, was I worked in the county's neighboring, and I always knew some of the people here because it's a very close-knit county has one program manager. Um, so it was an opportunity to be close to the family and work in a county that's, you know, just enormous and beautiful. 
um, has coastlines, so it has all these different dynamic threats that drives a lot of work in my aspect that keep it kind of creative. Um, and so I think it was just a, a passion of, of, of the area and kind of getting out to more uh, nature and not being in the urban areas, if you would. Great. Thank you, Brent. Um, Trisha, can you tell us a bit about yourself? So I was born and raised in Lake County, um, lived in Lake County about 48 of my 51 years. So um, Lake County, as you know, is very prone to wildfire. So grown up with it most of my life in a rural area with no phone service, no TV, no radio um, where I lived. Um, so we just had to keep an eye out and load up the car and keep the keys in our pocket and get up every once in a while and check and see what the situation was and determine if we were exiting and going to visit friends to the right or if we were exiting our home and going to the left and visiting friends somewhere else um, should we need to leave the area. So grew up with wildfire, um, you know, in that area. As far as professionally, I spent 15 years in retail management and then made a change um, and went to the County of Lake uh, Health Services and worked in their emergency uh, response department, doing planning for things like uh, mass dispensing, like they're doing currently with COVID. So did a lot of that and wrote grants, worked with the hospitals, the clinics, and CAL FIRE. And that's how I ended up with CAL FIRE, was doing exercises and trainings, started working with them, and then transitioned over to the CAL FIRE in 2008, uh, spent eight and a half uh, years in dispatch, and then came to um, be the fire prevention specialist on January 1st, 2017. It was always my goal with CAL FIRE to be a, a fire prevention specialist. Um, I met one um, while doing American Red Cross work in Lake County, and I knew that I wanted that job. So I've spent all these years um, working my way to this position because I think it's important to educate and reach out to the community. And my primary goal in life has been service, whether it was in the retail field or in emergency preparedness and response. It's always been service to my community in some way. So that's why I wanted this job. This is my dream job, and I will probably retire from this job. That's great. Thank you. Um, so let's start with a bit of the big picture. Um, Brent, going back to you, what is the Office of Emergency Service, and, and what are, what's, its, what's its big role? Uh, yeah, so emergency services is kind of a mis uh, mis a nomenclature or a misunderstanding a lot of people think we provide service directly to the public really emergency management a lot of agencies have transitioned to the term uh, office of emergency management or department of emergency management because our role is really about um, you know organizational alignment and, and management of resources and responsibility across departments right there's only one of me and and uh, this this agency historically is kind of fluctuated between no and none and one or two um, staff members. Um, and so, you know, I, I really, it, the bandwidth isn't there, like some of the bigger jurisdictions, um, really it's about um, prioritizing or figuring out what's going on in, in an emergency and kind of working with either county departments, city supporting the cities 
and or partners like Cal Fire, law enforcement, and kind of just cross-talking and, and, and figuring out what, what resources are needed to uh, stabilize an incident, whether it's man-made or, or natural. Um, and then part of that, of course, is working with the nonprofits and, and other big organizations that, that bring resources to bear and just making sure that, you know, who has what toys to play with and what, who's focusing on what types of plans and response aspects. Oh, thank you. Um, and Tricia, from a kind of an emergency information perspective, um, where, how does, how does Cal Fire get involved in that? Well, I'm not sure exactly what you're asking on that, but as far as Cal Fire's mission, or is that what you're wanting as far as in the unit? Sure. So our mission and our responsibility is to the state responsibility area. So there's a local response areas within our unit. So that would be like your Little Lake Fire or your Ukiah Fire. They are responsible for local area response. And then we are outside of that in the state responsibility area. So more of those areas where you have the interface between wildland and a large amount of vegetation and where people are living. I would say that's a good description of that area that we're responsible for. And then like you have the federal responsibility area, which is like the Mendocino National Forest. Um, and then you have uh, uh, the tribal lands and their area of responsibility. And then we're always working um, to support those local responsibility um, agencies also. So our responsibility is within that state area our mission is to put out fires within 10 acres or less. That's always our goal when we have a start within the state responsibility area. Um, our priorities are first going to be life, then going to be property, and then going to be environment in that order. So we're always looking at that, those goals and also putting that fire out as soon as possible. Um, we also uh, provide support in the form of 911 call taking services. We contract with the local government agencies to provide that services. So we provide it for medical and fire, um, not for law enforcement. Um, we are also always working on vegetation management program projects to help us build those barriers so that when we do have a fire that we have good fire line already in place or at least good access so we work on vegetation management projects within that program to provide ourselves better access and a place to stop the fire around a community um, during our off time during the time that we're not actually actively fighting fires um, we support um, the local agencies through auto aid and mutual aid by responding to medical aids, traffic collisions, hazmats, um, structure fires. Our jurisdiction is not over structure fires, but we're oftentimes supporting um, local uh, fire departments um, when needed. Right, that's a lot. Um, and in terms of when emergencies are happening, I imagine there's a fair bit of interaction between, uh, between your two organizations. How does that work? Well, so go ahead, Brett. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, uh, Patricia brought up some really good points, like, and I think it's a great example. Um, 
specifically like the August fire and Oak fire that we just had uh, last season. Um, she kind of touched on how Cal Fire has different areas of responsibility, right? State, state area versus local jurisdictions versus federal. So that example, specifically, the fire started within a, a federal area of responsibility. So initially, I was getting phone calls to do alert and warning um, from federal incident management teams. Um, and then as that fire progressed, because federal actually has a different techniques and things that they do when they respond to fires, right? Different resources they use. Um, as that fire progressed and transitioned into the state, the state areas of responsibility, you know, Cal Fire started picking up bigger pieces of that. And then of course, the whole time we're having to coordinate amongst at one point, four different incident management teams, two that were federal and two that were state from Cal Fire. And that whole time, we're still using our local alert and warning system, right? So all those evacuations, coordinating and making sure we're bringing in the tribal partners. And it's always a, a challenging thing, right, to get everybody in the know. But uh, that's the big aspect. That's really where, what OES is supposed to be doing, is trying to bring partners together and making those relationships. Um, and then before events, you know, I work with, like today, you know, you want to do an uh, interview and, uh, I was talking to Trish and I said, you know, Trish reached out and said she had some uh, things pop up in a community meeting that we should address or try to work towards. And I said, hey, you know what? Hey, you should be in this meeting with me because a lot of our programs, um, whether it's preparedness, um, you know, vegetation, I get stuff from PG&E, I, I got to pass that on to Cal Fire. Um, all these different aspects, it, it's, it's really a partnership. Again, we're a very small office and, uh, you know, a county that's really big and we all have to work together. So there are some overlapping and, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's just one great example of how we work together in an emergency. Great. Um, before we dig into, uh, to fire, we're going to take a bit of a, a bit of a, a swerve from our, our normal course, um, and talk a little bit, oops, actually, we're going to, we're going to give Cobb a second to talk. Well, just a good opportunity to let everybody know that if you just tuned in, we're listening to KZYX Radio. This is the Mendocino County Fire Safe Council Hour, and the voice you're just hearing is our host, Director of the Mendocino County Fire Safe Council, Scott Craddy. And we're speaking today with the Emergency Coordinator for Office of Emergency Services, also known as OES. That's Brent Blazer and Trisha Austin, the Public Information Officer for CAL FIRE. I'm going to take just a moment, too, to let you all know that we're doing a quiet drive here at the KZYX Public Broadcasting, which is to say, if you're listening to this, if you enjoy this program, or any other uh, programming you hear at this station, and you're not a member, uh, maybe consider becoming one. And it's really easy to do. A number you can call is 895 2324 is for the office here at the broadcast studio. You can speak with one of the staff and they'll walk you through the process. Also, you can go online to kzyx.org and there's a large donate now button there. Uh, pretty easy to navigate. Having said that, uh, back to you, Scott. Okay. Um, and relevant in a lot of ways because emergencies. Um, have a lot of common threads and getting ready for them is common in a lot of ways. This happens to be Tsunami Week. Um, and since we're sitting in the midst of Tsunami Week uh, and there's a lot going on, um, 
in fact, I think tomorrow, I wanted to give Brent a chance just to describe the kinds of things his organization does through through that lens and what's what's coming up this week. Yeah, so Scott, we have, uh, we've been doing a lot of things. Obviously, what I want to make sure people understand a little bit is that even though we're talking about different scenarios or different disasters, we focus on capabilities, right, in my world. So I look at how well can we do alert and warning because alert and warning doesn't matter if it's a fire or a flood or a tsunami, right? We have different tools that we use. And, and the reality is how well can we get the information, make a message, and get it out to the public across different platforms. Um, so some of the things that have kind of led us into tsunami week, uh, the state's done a great job redeveloping inundation maps because technology has changed. So we have better imagery of the, of the earth and such. Um, better modeling techniques. Um, so we actually worked with Point Rita and Fort Bragg and the different um, city managers and such who've done a fantastic job and the board of supervisors to adopt that information um, and to say, yeah, we've vetted it and looked at, you know, our bridges and have structures been built or road changes in, 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 in relation to that new inundation layer. Um, so we're the second, second county in the state to adopt it. Um, and that will go into future planning efforts, right? Response plans and hazard mitigation plans and such. Um, and so we just got that done. Um, we we're actually updating our tsunami response plans based on those new maps and such. Um, the state's going to be put, publishing new maps that are out, due out shortly. Um, and then really to this week, um, different partners are doing different things. One of our staff is out on the coast right now working with the hospitals uh, to or the hospital to do a uh, um, a tabletop exercise and bringing partners together, which is basically a discussion of who responds and does what during a tsunami. Uh, and tomorrow, I would make sure you know, we've been advertising on social media and such, but um, we'll be working with National Weather and across the three counties, Del Norte, Humboldt, and Mendocino County. Um, we'll be doing a live activation. So we'll be sending out new uh, radio and, and such. Not We won't be doing radio in our county. Um, because it bleeds over into uh, more southern counties that weren't participating. But we will be, at 10 o'clock, we'll be sending out a uh, Mendo alert, uh, reverse 911. Uh, so people in that area should expect to hear a test message. Um, and it's going to clearly state it's a test message. Um, and then that'll happen at 10, 11 o'clock. You should hear the sirens. We have four sirens on the coast. Um, at 11.30, we're going to trigger those sirens again through our dispatch center because there's multiple ways to trigger them. So we just want to make sure they're working. We have some volunteers from the Mendocino County um, Auxiliary Communication Service that are going to be out monitoring and they're going to report back if they hear the sirens. Um, and then essentially uh, at 2, the state will be practicing its playbook on how it notifies dispatch centers and, and key leaders and such in, in the county or each county. So it's kind of an all-day thing. Of, of the count of residents may not see all of it, but they definitely will hear the sirens and such. And then also Civil Air Patrol will be, uh, we'll find out at 2 o'clock today because it's very weather-dependent, but there should be a Civil Air Patrol plane flying and broadcasting a test message uh, from north to south. And so they'll hear that, you know, any time between, you know, 10, 10.30 and, and noon, depending on the, how long it takes them to fly down the coastline. Um and that will very much clearly identify just a test message. It won't, you know, just you know, testing of their audio abilities from the aircraft. Um, so, yeah, that's that's really it. What we'll do is in, in October, hopefully, we'll do actual uh, 
more of a public facing uh, evacuation drill. And uh, hopefully at the end of the year, we'll be one of those counties ranked as uh, tsunami ready. That's kind of my, one of my goals this year is to kind of uh, meet all those requirements and, and get all these things in place. Cool. Um, that's a lot going on right now. I'm amazed you can take time out to, to do the radio with us. Um, yeah, I um, one of our uh, affiliated groups, Casper Prepared, which also works as a kind of as a neighborhood fire safe council, sent out a bunch of information about the warnings yesterday, and I saw the bit about the um, the air alert, uh, which. I've never come across that before. Is that something that's going to be more widely deployed or is that something that's like possibly part of wildfire preparedness down the road as well? Uh, not so much. No, not with wildfire. I mean, so, you know, aircraft one, you got other aircraft coming into the area when you're doing wildfire. Um, and I will say, so my job in the military, I was a fire support coordination officer and did field artillery. So that's, you know, not just cannons, rockets and such, but it's also dropping ordnance from aircraft. So um, uh, flight, being a ground combat controller is kind of part of the job. And I will tell you that these, uh, we used to joke that uh, aircraft don't fly in bad weather. Um, so we even, you know, these small planes when it comes to civil air patrol, um, you know, if, if it's cloudy, overcast, or any any sort of clouds and such, they 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 ground them um, for safety concerns. But uh, you know, obviously that's not the case with Cal Fire. But when you get a lot of moving aircraft in the air, you got to coordinate that. You don't want things crashing into each other. Um, so, an audible too for the Civil Air Patrol, it's a great thing along the coast. Um, it's an extra resource to get people off the beaches that may not have good cell reception, um, but at the same time, it, it sometimes can be hard to hear if they fly too high, you know. So in, in a in a smoky environment, it wouldn't be a good a good tool. Um, and then also with all the terrain aspects, it would be you know not it's not usually as a preferred technique. Well, in in the instance of our wildland fires we've had recently in the recent years, high winds yeah. and the aircraft's not going to fly in high winds. All right. Just uh, a good illustration of the reason that you need to have a lot of multi-layered plans yeah. and ways to, ways to get messages out. Um, but it's great the state and the partners here in the county are doing what we're doing because we're we're basically bringing all the different notification and communication resources that we can. You know, we're planning on playing with them all on game day and with whoever can whoever can make it based on whatever limitations. And, and then that 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 drives the reality of. of you know, hey, any given day there there could be bad weather or whatever, and these are the tools that actually work. Yeah, um, that's great. Hopefully, we'll have time to get to it later. But I mean, the, the flip side of that is for the people listening out there, you need to be equally intense about thinking through multiple ways of getting information, uh, you know, cell phone, radio, etc. Because um, some of them in, in emergencies, that's why they're emergencies. Some of those won't work, so you need some backups. Um, Getting back to plans, um, Frank, can you give us a little bit more about what current projects your agency has going on? What's on the horizon? Uh, yeah, we have a slew of, of different things we're working on. Specifically, um, you know, the county rolled out a evacuation plan the other year. Um, and then, you know, planning is never done. Okay, I, I just want to share that with everybody. Planning is a process and really the exercise going through planning is, is what makes you better, right? 
Um, I think Mike Tyson jokes that everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face, right? And, and so, I mean, you think you know what's going to happen. You think you have all the partners informed, and, and but then there's certain things that don't work and you have to adjust the plan. Um, one of the things that we noticed was there's um, – to, to make a plan work, you have to have executionable tools and such. And so, you know, we started to see that there's best practices when that process started. There were, you know, a lot of communities moving towards predefining evacuation zones and such. Whereas before we used the point of origin of a fire and then we develop evacuation zones and then we do notifications based off that. Um, so what we're trying to do is move towards evacuation zones. Uh, they'll, they'll never be perfect. We'll always have to adjust. Um, but at least then it kind of starts giving the public some education of like which areas we're talking about because language in emergencies is very challenging. Um, you know, terminology and having common understanding of what area we're speaking about, and, you know, what are the parameters of, of that geographical space. Um, so we're working on that. We're actually going to be working with Cal Fire and, and Law and a couple of, we have, we defined them and, and made the shapes. Now we have to come together and look at them and troubleshoot what, you know, does this make sense um, based on city boundaries and, you know, all sorts of things, train features. So we're really close to doing that. And then now we'll have an uh, automated map aspect to it. Um, so first we want people to learn what their zones are. And then, you know, then we'll have them in the background for when we actually use them. Um, so that's a big, big list that we have going on. Um, of course, we've been working on making sure we always look at our alert warning plan to make sure it's relevant and that it, the processes of how we collect information, develop a message, and how we shoot it out to the public on multiple platforms um, is, is relevant. I guess technology is moving so fast. We're actually creating a web page. I just was working on some of the contracting last night for that. Um, and so basically, we'll be having a new uh, scalable uh, uh, alert and warning. It's going to be linked with our alert and warning system. And so essentially a better, a better, more organized page where people can go for preparedness information that'll have, you know, all the different types of threats in the county, what to be, where they are, what to be aware of, and what to do if something happens, um, all the way to, and then another page for the response aspects, right? So they can try to get the most recent information when we have an issue. Um, and then the real key aspect is this web page and URL will be one, a stable URL that's easy to find for the public, right? So when they Google stuff, they're not searching multiple web pages. They'll know where to go. Um, and then also we can integrate that with the alert warning system. And then when people go there in emergency, you know, a lot of county and government or public pages, they don't scale. So when you have, you know, 20 or 30,000 people click on it at the same time, it'll shut the web page down because it's not used to that kind of traffic. And so what we want to build is a web page that, if I link, put the URL out there in a public message, people all click on it at the same time. It should scale um, and, and, and automatically be ready for that kind of bandwidth in an emergency. And that's a shortage that we, shortcoming that we see in so many counties that um, because there's a cost and it's like, you don't use it all the time, but when you do, you don't have time to rebuild the wheel, right? Um, so we're gonna try to get in front of that. Um, other than that, I mean, it, it, we're going to be working on an emergency operation plan. Um, the plans that we've already been doing, we're always re-looking at our response plans as season goes on. So like I said, we're tsunami week. We're re-looking at our uh, tsunami plan, response plan. Um, so I think I think those are the big ones. I think our P1 
PBS, our public building, did a great job redoing our, um, they kind of led the effort on our hazard mitigation plan. And that finalized back in uh, February. Um, you know, so I think it's a, it, it, there's a lot of big projects going on. Yeah, we are uh, in a in an era of heightened disaster awareness. It seems so. Um, it's a, it's a big area. Trisha, did you want to add anything to to that context in terms of the plans that are on the horizon and what you're working on? Well, you see that um, Brett has a lot going on in the background, um, and I just wanted to say, like, when Cal Fire shows up in an incident, the incident commander takes charge. He starts evaluating the situation the wildland fire based on training experience. And then he's like, okay, looks like we need to evacuate this area. And he kind of just has a general idea. The wind's blowing this way. That's where the incident's gonna probably go. These are the concerns. And then we reach out through our dispatch officially. He can do that by radio or phone. And then that activates the sheriff's department, OES, um, to send out the nixels, to send out the alerts. So that's our component in that process. Um, and then as far as communications during the incident, as far as the fire goes, um, if it's under five acres and it looks like it's not gonna be much, um, probably not gonna be a lot of information on it. Um, pretty much by the time we got the information out, the fire, that small of a fire would probably be done unless it's clearly visible um, something on the highway and I happen to be on duty. So that's five acres or under. If you're going between five and 10 acres, then you're gonna start, start seeing things um, on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So that's where we're gonna see data on those five to 10 acres. It hits 10 acres, it's CAL FIRE state policy to start doing incident updates. And those are gonna go on the social media and they're gonna go um, out to the media um, and people can sign up for press releases. Um, you can just Google Cal Fire News Release and it'll pop up with a sign up, click into that first one and then you can go in and sign up for news releases. So that's how they're gonna go out. So they're gonna go out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Then they're gonna go out as a press release or incident update on that um, system. It's called Constant Contact that people can sign up for. And then it's going to go um, to the CAL FIRE website that's administered in Sacramento. But that's a little bit of a lag time. So it's better to look at that social media and sign up for our local news releases to get that data first. And then it goes out from there. So to a significant... Um, go ahead. Oh, and as far as preparing for that... Um, the unit didn't have a public information officer and technically I am, I act as the public information officer. We don't have someone specifically assigned to that job. So as most people have more than one job, we always have more than one hat also. So um, being in that position for the last four, four years acting, now I'm starting to be able to get depth and get training with additional people to support. The position because it has been just me like it's just been brent um when it's oes and now it has been just me and i think these larger incidents have really contributed to people seeing the need for more information and more people to be able to provide that information because 
when a team comes, so when an incident becomes so large that the unit can't manage it on their own and they need a team that specializes in managing those large fires, you might have seven people doing the work of the single person that's at the unit level. So I'm trying to build that in-unit team to provide that information. And we're working on, you know, more infrastructure for our call center and things like that so that we can handle the larger load um, prior to the team getting here. Yeah, I, think, I think Chris brings up some great, great points. Uh, one, they also did a lot of effort in the fire vulnerability assessment that the county you know, we, we, OES is not the subject matter expert in fire, right? Like I know I'm like the jack of all trades and master of none. Um, you know, so we really work to support CAL FIRE, but what she's mentioning is the public has a huge want and desire and sometimes a false mis, a false understanding of how, where the information comes from. Um, and, and so that lift of emergencies has become like a lot a lot more challenging, um, you know, where you have way more public information officers that you have to bring to the table to keep up with the demand for information. Um, and, and, and even then, and we, it, we ne we've never seemed like we can get enough information out there. Um, and, and, it's, and it's an unknown. I mean, literally, I'm calling her as, you know, hey, I'm getting people pinging the dispatch center, you know, is this fire bad or is it just smoky, but, you know, and she'll, you know, now she's running around doing 10 different things and trying to get me a little bit of information. So I'm, I'm you know, pushing it back out to the dispatch center, social media sites. And, and so it's a very complex, it's the telephone game, right? And, and you don't know how bad it is until it's bad. I mean, that, that, that fire in Sonoma in 2017, I think they said it was moving a, a football field a second. So imagine you know, within four hours that it travels from one county into the heart of another, um, you know, trying to figure out what's going on, develop the message. Oh, and then you want to translate it and then fire that out across multiple platforms in which you have to reshape that message because not all platforms, you can draw a long email on an email, but on Twitter, you only get so many characters and on, on, you know, Nixle messaging, you only get so many characters um, so you got to reshape it for each person. Um, so it's a really challenging, she has a very challenging position. And, um, and at the same time, you know, we can do a great job um, handling an incident and high five each other and go home. But if the public doesn't know what it was about, we could take a huge black eye um, and, and it's perception at that point. Right. And so she wears some big shoes to keep that, the perception and reality aligned with the reality of what's going on. And so on that note, I'm just going to let you all know, this is Cobb in the studio for this platform, KZYX, and you are tuned to KZYX, listening to the Mendocino County Fire Safe Council radio show. Uh, the guests today uh, with our host, Director Scott Craddy of the Mendocino County Fire Safe Council is Brent Blazer, the emergency coordinator for OES, the Office of Emergency Services, and Trisha Austin, the Public Information Officer for CAL FIRE in our local MEU, that's the Mendocino County Unit. And I just want to pose one other uh, question or a prompt as we move along. 
out of both Trisha and Brent, which is for anybody newly tuning in or that's been listening and maybe wasn't quick with the pen, if you can give uh, some of the contact information for the various platforms you've been highlighting today. I know you mentioned Nixel, there's uh, Constant Contact was one, and any others that you want to get that information out to the public one more time for folks that just tuned in. Thanks. I think what we might want to do, actually, is we had a few other things in queue here, and let's put them aside because we're, we're running through the time pretty quickly and sort of jump up to a discussion about what are the emergency notification systems and make sure people have the info for them. So we can, we can circle back to plans and uh, what steps people should take, but um, that's a great point, and I want to make sure we step through that carefully and get people, get people connected with the right uh, sources. Yeah, so, um, Trish, why don't you go first, and then I'll, I'll go into the, the Nixle and Everbridge stuff. And... Uh, no, that's okay. I can just click, uh, jump in on the Nixle and stuff. I think it's very important. Um, a lot of the people I spoke to on the Oak Fire were not signed up for Nixle or Everbridge, and if they're not getting the appropriate notifications, it's very important. Um, so always spreading that message when we're doing repopulation, um, when we're, you know, starting an incident, sign up for Nixle, sign up for Everbridge. So I think it's really important that we get into that. Yeah, no, no. Okay. Um, so really, they're, they're different platforms, right? They're, they're different tools. I'm just going to refer to it as Mendo Alert. It's kind of the overarching term that we use these different tools within it, which is Nixle. We have an electronic notification system, Reverse 911, which is the Everbridge product, right? Um, it gets really confusing because Everbridge bought these other platforms. So they're kind of like, they own it all. Um, but they're really, it's it's how we do notifications. And, and one of the simplest things you can do is if you're using a, a cell phone, you can text 888-777. Um, and you're basically, you're texting your zip code there, and that's going to enroll you into uh, generically into Nixle. Now, if you want to receive all Nixle messaging for the county, um, then you would be texting uh, the Mendo alert to 888 uh, Mendo alerts, M-E-N-D-O-A-L-E-R-T-S to 888-777. Um, so that's just the Nixle component. That's just text messages to your cell phone. Okay, you're only registering your one particular cell phone, and, and that's really it. Now, if you want to register for Mendo Alerts, which is the electronic notification system, Reverse 911, you would have to go to the um, county's webpage. To, you can just Google Mendo Alerts or Mendo Notification. It'll take you to the county webpage, and you end up linking to the Everbridge user where you set up an account. Um, I would strongly recommend, and also when you do the, the Mendo alerts, Nixle uh, texting, it'll kind of prompt you, it'll send you a return message to, to go to this web page and finish the notification. So the easiest thing is to sign up for Mendo or the, tech, the Nixle and then follow the prompts and, and go to the web page. Now I'm saying go to the web page because there you can manage your information. You can manage it every year. Um, as you change cell phones, you change your address, you change your email, and you can you can set it up to be, you know, do you want your landline called? Do you want your cell phone called? Um, do you want 
emails, and then you can even prioritize how you want to be contacted. Because nowadays with smartphones, your email might ping and tell you you got an email. Um, you might prefer or have um, certain needs where you you want it. You know, like I have a reader on your phone, whatever it might be. Um, the important difference to understand is these systems all have limitations. Okay, um, again. The message has to be crafted. I have to figure out what's going on. And it's not just me. We have dispatch that's sending these messages out, right? Because as a disaster spins up, it can go real fast. Um, so the message has to, somebody who calls 911 says there's a problem, you know, field elements have to show up, identify the problem, figure out what the scale and scope is. How fast is this moving? Do we really want to evacuate people? Um, they have to make that decision. And then that message has to come back to dispatch and say yes we're asking for an evacuation they describe the area they have to kind of tell us about how many people we're talking about you know so that we can then turn around and create that message and shoot it back out through nixle and different platforms um, so that is its own challenge right the next challenge becomes you know the infrastructure of the communication infrastructure cell towers communication towers um, where you are in proximity to those towers, what the terrain looks like. Do you have cell reception? Do you have, um, you know, cognitivity? You know, what kind of device do you have in your pocket and what type of service do you have? Verizon, AT&T. I think throughout the county, everybody understands that certain certain providers, I mean, I could drive down 101 between Gaia and, and uh, Hopland and I lose service periodically uh, or with a major provider. So, I'm just saying there's, these are all the complexities, okay? Um, but one of the big differences between, because people will say, well, I didn't get a message, right? Well, the difference might be that they don't realize what platform they're signed up for. Um, they might not be in the geographic area that we're targeting. So with both of these systems, we have the ability to, we can either click and say, we're telling everybody in the county, right? Or we can draw a little map and say, okay, this box, we're targeting this area. And Mendo Alerts, the Everbridge component, will, will be much more granular. If I if I pick those like basically properties, um, it'll it'll just target those people. Whereas Nixel, the alerting uh, text messages, it only goes off of zip codes. So if I circle anything, everybody in that zip code gets the message. Um, so that's the level of specificity that, that you have between the two systems. And, and many more people are registered for Nixle than they are for Everbridge. So we use them in conjunction. There's overlapping aspects, right? And again, you gotta craft you gotta craft the message to be able to fit in the different character contents that these systems will let you do. Um, so those are the registration systems and how to register. Um, some of the other tools that we use that are maybe non-registered, you know, I'm sure everybody's heard of wireless emergency alerts. There are kind of stipulations about using that because it's not, even though the federal government's saying, yeah, we're, we're able to geo-target and draw a map that's within, a, you know, it'll be within a tenth of a mile accuracy. That's not a true thing. That's a, the technology in the lab does that, but the reality is that cell phones and uh, infrastructure and terrain, because those aren't text messages. That's actually a radio, like radio frequency that's coming from the, the closest cell tower to your phone. So your phone has to be latest, greatest, to have the geocoding aspects. Uh, it has to be able to accept certain character contents to keep up with newest aspects. 
Um, the cell the cell your provider has to be uh, issuing those alerts. Sometimes they don't they don't have to by law. Um, so there's a lot of complexity. So when things go sideways, we start sending it out uh, on all three you know all three of these platforms. And then on top of that, I think if you guys were if you were in the area last year, I was I mean, we were sending it out on EAS the radio emergency alert system. Which then hits your TV and radio and goes through your uh, NDEC system that's probably sitting behind you at the radio station. Um, you know those those are all the tools we use. To not to mention you know high low sirens. If you hear a high low siren, there's probably you know on the patrol cars mobile sirens. That, that means there's a, there's probably a problem. You need to um, at least take notice and start looking for additional information and find out if you need to evacuate. Um, we have the we have an LRAD, a long-range acoustic device, which is a mobile siren, if you would. But that limitation is that you got to move that thing around, right? You got to get it in place, and and it's only good for so much range. Um, so um, these are all you know just different tools that we use. I mean, and if it's going really sideways, like we call up National Weather Service and we try to use National Weather Radio, which it kind of piggybacks off of emergency alert system. Hey, I have a question. This is Cobb Engineering at the KZYX studio there, Brent. And uh, just because you, you mentioned the emergency alert system and even mentioned it here in our studio uh, for listeners, that's the system that we usually hear just the drills going out over the air. You know, this has been a test of the emergency broadcasting system. This is only a test. I've known that since I was like five years old. Um... But we did have a, a listener call in earlier wondering about overall contact, if they have feedback, you know, residents in the county and their experience with some of these various systems. Um, if they want to just talk to somebody one-on-one -on -one to help them to navigate some of this and maybe give some feedback on how it worked or not, is there any kind of follow-up contact information that they can uh, look for? Are we talking about a technical expert, or are we just talking about community? And, and uh, the, yeah, the general listener audience. You know, they've all been alerted at different times for various evacuations, had different experiences, and one particular uh, caller was just wondering, is there a, a person to contact or a, a particular agency to contact to it, learn more details? Yeah, I mean, we took a lot of input, especially from broadcasters, and we have ACS the auxiliary communication services like camp radio operators that were giving feedback. But if they have uh, questions or concerns, or if they want to provide some input, uh, they can contact OES, OES at MendocinoCounty.org. That's just our general email. Um, and there are, you know, um, I'll tell you that last year, one of the challenges that we had in our system, still going to have to figure out what the workaround is. Um, the way our platform was set up is we, what got transmitted to EAS, a lot of times when you're under the gun, it's easy. To, it's the preferred technique to hit the uh, um, trans, what's it called, the um, talk to text or text to talk. Uh, where it just kind of robo animates whatever you typed in there. Um, and some people were saying they had a hard time understanding that. And that was because of the timing of the messages, because that's a different character count uh, in that EAS messaging for voice than what goes uh, into the emails and stuff like that. It was kind of easier to kind of keep putting that message and, and 
that was just one that you could copy and paste and let the automated system. So we did hear some people say that the talk to text was a little bit hard to understand. Um, what I didn't see in this specific system, because they're all different, right? Different counties. I say all different, but there's there's some big players and there's a lot of other ones. There's HyperReach, there's um, Code Red. Um, there's all different providers and the systems work a little differently. Um, you'd be able to attach a wave file just for the EAS component. And I didn't see that um, as an option at the time. And, and periodically they take input and they update the system. Um, so that's something that we're looking at for this season is, is how do we make that EAS part a little bit clearer for people. If nothing else, how do we clean up that boy text right in there? Because, you know, if you, put, if you don't put enough space in, sometimes the word comes together, or if you don't spell something out properly, that can cause confusion. So, so we are running a little thin on time. Um, I wanted to circle back quickly, Brent, if you could just encapsulate again what the central places people should go to make sure they're registered and signed up and managing their information flow. I would definitely go to the county webpage, Mendo, see county alerts. It'll take you right to it. Um, it's on the county page, and then there's a link to the Mendo uh, alerts Everbridge registration site. Um, I get a lot of phone calls. People want you to walk them through it. Um, I really feel like that's something that you got to manage. It's a registration because as your information changes, um, you know, you, you got to kind of own that one. Um, but we you know, try to help people the best we can. Um, but that, that's the best thing to do. In fact, it's um, animal. Um, you also can do Mendo alerts to, to uh, text that to 888-777. And I apologize. It's text your zip code to 888-777. If nothing else, do that. Um, okay. And if you want to register your home lines, if you want to get emails, um, you have to go to the web page and sign up there. Right. And Brett, so, you had a video that you and Sheriff Kendall did um, that I thought was really good that showed people how to do Everbridge and Nixle. Is that still available? Uh, I had to find it, but yeah, it was on the Facebook page and such. And uh, that's kind of our first go at trying to do some social media stuff. <laughs> We're going right. to get better. <laughs> I'd love to connect that on our page. Speaking of which, um, so we, we do have on the FireSafe Council website, firesafemendocino.org, um, a good thing on emergency connection. And I also wanted to point out on firesafemendocino.org under community resources, um, there is a page called Links with Critical Information. And much of that is thanks to Trisha. Uh, Trisha sent us uh, a page with links to a great number of different emergency connection resources. Uh, and we have them all on that page, including live links to the CAL FIRE MEU social media, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, um, and a lot of other, uh, a lot of other resources, wildlife, the wildfire camera links, uh, and, um, you know, the, the um, uh, lightning finder maps and just a, a whole wealth of other other emergency alert resources there. So I wanted to thank Tricia for that and let people know that those are all kind of centrally uh, centrally listed on our website as well. Um, we've only got a couple minutes of time left and I'd like to 
um, just give each of you a moment just to talk to people about what you, you know, as people are prioritizing getting ready, fire season's coming up, what, what message would you like to get out to people about what they should be doing to get ready? Um, any of who wants to go with sure. that? Why don't you go ahead first? I oh. talked a lot. <laughs> okay. So for Cal Fire, um, the best thing you can do is prepare your property. Prepare what what is the most important thing on your property. To me, it's my home, so I'll refer to your home. Um, I start with my home and then move out to the 100 feet or to the property line. And I want to make sure that the vegetation is not touching my structure or that the vegetation that is close to my structure is well-maintained, green, well taken care of, and not going to lead a fire into my home. So I'm the goal is to keep the flames off your structure and to keep the embers from the passing wildfire from having a place to take hold. So debris. So we're getting down to that defensible space. Make it so the fire is not going to touch your house and is going to pass by. Make it so that there's no place for those embers to take hold and start your structure on fire. So that hopefully, like I'm at work, I've done my preparedness and I've prepared my home to stand alone as a wildfire passes through. So hopefully I've done everything I can to increase the chances that when I go home, my home's still there. And everything you need to know about preparedness is available on readyforwildfire.org. Everything from go bags to doing an evacuation plan for your family and I think we've seen in the last few years that evacuation plan needs to be, I'm leaving my home, I'm leaving my town, I'm potentially leaving my county. So you need to have a wide variety of plans and tiers to your plan so that you know what you're doing, where you're going, and what you're taking with you. Great. So, And then ultimately that defensible space, keep the flames off your house. That's awesome. And we are pretty close to out of time. So uh, there's a ton we didn't get to here. Maybe we'll circle back some other day. But Brent, do you have a quick closing message for people? You know what? Uh, she nailed it. Go bags. Be prepared. Don't wait. You know, it, it's your life. You know, there's everything's replaceable. Uh, I do encourage you to go take care of your pets. I love my dogs. Um, so be prepared for the whole family. But never wait. If you don't feel comfortable, it's it's time to go. Uh, and lastly, I would say it's it's really heartbreaking to watch families that maybe were underinsured or businesses. I would always encourage people to reassess what their risks are and to go out and make sure they're properly insured because that's that's the biggest part of recovery. Um, it's nice to know that you know what if I lose it, I have a check in the mail to, to rebuild it. Um, and then finally, I would just say treat everybody. It, it's always a stressful time. And, and for everybody who's working in the incident to responding or to being a, like a, a, a evacuee, um, just know that no matter how angry you might be, whether it's PSPS, uh, the public safety and PG&E, um, the, the people working in the field, they're there trying to help. And so be kind to them and try to be out of the way so they can work quickly and try to mitigate any problems we're going to have. Great. Thank you both so much. I think we are past a little past where we should be, my fault, but I appreciate you both very much for the time. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, you can go to kzyx.org to find more shows and content like this one. While there, you can stream us live or check out our jukebox. And if you like what you hear, consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. We are Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM. KZYZ, Woolitz and Ukiah, 91.5 FM. And Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Thanks for listening.